0: Well, guys, good morning. Happy Memorial Day weekend to you. Uh, If you're watching or listening, uh, we hope that you are doing well this weekend. If you volunteer on one of our serve teams, we want to say thank you for all that you do. And hopefully this weekend, um, quote unquote, off uh, has really been encouraging to you and you're able to rest a little bit as we could get back in high gear uh, starting next week. Um, So over the next couple of weeks, um, I like us to address What to do with mean people in our lives. Uh, Over the last couple of years during the pandemic, it just seems like we've dealt with more people, at least me, that are mean. Uh, I've seen some mean people. What we want to do is the next two weeks, let's think of this series as like a one-hour sermon. It's an hour-long sermon, and we're going to divide it into two parts. So this means that today we're going to be left with more questions than answers. Um, Now, we may not all have an Amy done in our life. We may not all have a Warden Samuel Norton in our life, but I do believe that most of us have a Hilly Holbrook in our life or we have a Veruca Salt in our life. We all have them. We may think of some things that we want to do to them or we want to see happen to them. I would say mean people are described as the following, and and maybe you would agree. Mean people are not pleasant to be around, they're grumpy, they're in a bad mood. Um, they are like up and down emotionally. Uh, mean people are looking for something to go wrong and make life miserable for others. And mean people use deception to control or manipulate others, and mean people use other people for their own interest. Now before we begin the list of all the mean people in our lives, just, just let's call a timeout because all of us can have a mean streak, me included, you included. We all can have a mean streak. And perhaps it's important for us to to look and provide the Holy Spirit an opportunity to work in us first, before we begin to respond to other people. It's really important that God has an opportunity to work in us, like we we, we open up for that. Because if we don't provide the Holy Spirit an opportunity, I believe one will be made for us. One of the scriptures uh, in our Old Testament says that pride comes before the fall. Um, It's important, I I think, in this series for us to know how to respond to mean people. Because if we don't have a plan, the mean people in our lives gain a measure of control over our lives. Before we know it, we're acting as they do. It's almost as if we don't have a choice. And here's why we begin to act like mean people. Mean people can keep us off balance. I mean, people can keep you off balance. They can keep me off balance. Why? We, we think about it all the time. We think of some things we want to do to them. We pray that some things happen to them. And when we're off balance, when we're off kilter, we're tempted to compromise our own principles. So as I'm writing this this message and I'm giving this out, Um, the list of mean people in my life isn't as long as I thought. Like when I was writing out this sermon series, it was not as long as I thought. And there are some people on the list, coaches, teachers, families, strangers, and yes, even church people. And whether I like to admit it, all of these people have been part of the process that has helped shape me as a kid and as a young adult. And there was someone that I remember that was the meanest person on that list. And that was Mike the Bully. Mike the Bully lived up the road from us. And he was much older than me. Um, He was five or six years older. And we rode the bus together. Now, here's the thing about me that many of you don't know. I did not hit my growth spurt until uh, until it going into my senior year of high school. So I was relatively small. And this guy did not have smallness i mean he was a large kid every day we would get onto the school bus and he would pick on me and then when we come home and we would get off the school bus he would push me he would punch me and during this time i never said much to my parents instead i figured that i could figure this out on my own and so i began having these game plans i began to convince myself that maybe i could convince my friends to gang up on him and put him out of his misery I could pray that he would move. I I could weld a thin protective layer of steel over my chest. And so when he punched me, he'd break my, you know, he'd break his bones. Actually, that sounds a lot darker coming out of my mouth. than when I was writing that down, you know, without really knowing it, I was becoming like him and I didn't even like him finding, it was just like, like, I was being consumed on what I could do to get back at him. Then one afternoon, uh, we get off the school bus. I didn't, I mean, of course, he did it every day. But man, all of a sudden, he just welded me, man. He just pounded me. He got me down on the ground and just started punching and punching. And I didn't stand a chance against this this guy. I was a runt. He wasn't. And I went home pretty beaten up. And I'm going to stop there. And I'll pick it there. Pick it up there next week. The truth is that it's difficult to be good to people who aren't good. It's hard to honor people who dishonor other people. It's hard to be kind to people who are unkind to other people. And when we face mean people, man, we want another option than the golden rule. If you've been around church any length of time, I'm sure you've heard of the golden rule. Jesus said that do to others as you would have others do to you. That sounds great. But man, our, our human nature, we, we would rather have the iron roll. Do to others as they have done to you. It seems right, fair, the just thing to do. It's even the even thing to do. When we feel slighted, when we feel wrong, we feel powerless. And we want to get that power again. We want to feel powerful again. And what we do is we usually take it out on somebody else. When we're so focused on getting back at a particular person and we can't get back at them, we begin to take out our frustration and our anger and even our hurt on other people around us. We blow up over something very small at home we blow up against our wife or our kids because of something that's happening at work and then vice versa we get we explode at work we blow up over something small at work and the reason why is because we're so frustrated with something that happened at home guys we may even be daydreaming about getting even the truth is getting even with someone we don't even like only makes us like them guys that doesn't sound like a win It doesn't sound like a win. It sounds terrible. It sounds like a loss. So the question on the table for for us this morning is this. How do we protect our hearts and our minds from becoming like mean people? How do we protect our hearts and our minds from becoming like mean people? Well, there is a better way to live. There is a better way to live. And it's modeled, believe it or not, a thousand years before Jesus was born. And it was modeled by a very wise woman. And as we look at the story in the Old Testament, it's very important for us to remember that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And God was shaping this wise woman's heart to handle mean people in an undeserving way. So, it was a foreshadow of how God would deal with you and deal with me, humanity, in a very undeserving way. You and I, do not deserve the way that God handled us through Jesus. We don't, we, don't, we don't deserve it, but yet he handled it. And as a follower of Jesus, we are called to treat mean people in an undeserving way. Uh, I believe that, and this is probably an educated guess, that many of us have heard, whether we've been in a church or we haven't been in church in a long time, that we are familiar with the story of David and Goliath. David, he was a shepherd boy, Goliath was this giant. David takes out Goliath with a slingshot. And then he takes his sword, Goliath's sword, cuts off his head. Israel wins the war. David is this folk hero. He's this national hero. Well, Later, the king at the time, Saul, gets word that Samuel, Israel's last judge and God's spokesman, anointed David to be the next king of Israel. Saul has... A fit with that. He expects his son Jonathan to become the next king. Saul expected a dynasty and he wanted it so bad that he tries to kill David. When David escapes, Saul labels him a fugitive and he lives in the wilderness. So he attracts a following of about 600 other fugitives and they're angry with Saul on how he mistreated them. So David and his crew, they're looking for a place to to take out all his frustrations and their frustrations, their anger, and their hurt. And then David, he ends up finding the right perfect. So as we jump into the story, it's 1 Samuel. So 1 Samuel is in our Bibles in our Old Testament. So you have the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and then you have Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, and then it's 1 Samuel. That's where we're going to be, 1 Samuel 25. It goes like this. There was a wealthy man from Mon who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and it was sheep-shearing time. So sheep-shearing season, can't say that five times fast, was when wealthy people found out how much more wealthy they had become. It was like getting an annual financial report. So this wealthy man was about to find out how much more wealthier he became, like how much of a profit did he turn. So this man's name was Nabal, and his wife, Abigail, was a sensible and beautiful woman. But Nabal, a descendant of Caleb, if you guys remember, your, um, going back to our story in the Bible, um, you had Moses send out a crew of 10 spies into the land of Canaan. Two of the spies came back with a favorable report. The other eight did not. you knew who those two spies were? One was Joshua, and one was Caleb. This is the Caleb we're talking about, a man of faith. Well, Nabal wasn't. He was crude and mean in all his dealings. So the biographer or the historian, whoever's writing First Samuel, gives a contrast between the two. Abigail's intelligent and beautiful. So you have her on this hand. Or her. her name actually meant a father's joy. Then on this side, you have Nabal. He's crude. He's mean in how he deals uh, with, with other business owners. Nabal's mean means heavy which means that he was a burden to deal with. So, I mean, how many, people in the, how many people do you know that are crude and mean in business dealings and selfless and kind at home? Like, they're a grizzly bear when it comes to business deals, but man, they're a teddy bear at home. And we also may be thinking, what in the world was Abigail doing with heavy? Like, like how did that happen? It's very possible, very likely, that she was just part of a transaction. She was part of a dowry. So she may not have had a choice. So if that's the case, what was her father thinking? So the story continues. When David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, he sent 10 of his young men to Carmel with this message from Nabal. Peace and prosperity to you your family, and everything you own. So David understands what's happening. He understands that he's going to get a very good favorable report. And he knows that if is going to experience peace and prosperity, it's, got, it's because of him. He says, while your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them, and nothing was ever stolen from them. So they protected David and his crew protected his shepherds from the raiders. Ask your own men they will tell you this is true. So, would you be kind to us since we have come at a time of celebration. Please share any provisions you might have on hand with us and with your friend David. David's young men gave this message to Nabal in David's name and they waited for a reply. Now, contrary to popular belief, David, that David was a gentle man, he just strummed the heart. David was not a gentle man. David was a very violent man. By throwing David's name in, what was happening is they were intended to show that David was not to be messed with. And people living in the area knew that David was a man who regularly raided their villages and would murder every single person in the village. Notice what his biographer writes. David did not leave one person alive in the villages he attacked. He took the sheep, goats, cattle, donkeys, camels, and clothing before returning home. He's not one to be messed with. Everybody knows who David is. He is the national hero. Nabal, with a little bit of pride, says, Who is this fella David? Who does this son of Jesse think he is? So obviously he knows who he is. Then he begins to throw some shade on David. There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shearers and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where? And David says in so many words, Listen, we didn't we didn't tell you to do this. I never got into some business arrangement with you. I've never agreed to do any of this i never had you do any of this so you're not getting any food I didn't ask for your help so i don't owe you anything so david's young men returned and told him what nabal had said and of course david you know the gentle heart-playing guy said oh thanks guys for trying let's just let's just go no and instead his response was get your swords as he strapped on his own now, here's the reason why the biographer highlights David arming himself. And I believe it's so important because his sword was like no other sword. His sword was a reminder that he did not need to take matters into his own hands. His sword was Goliath's sword. It was a visual aid of God's promise, of God's provision, of God's protection. Like God had chosen David and raised him to be the next king. David could have looked down at the sword he could have stopped and he could have asked god to help him and his army instead he decides to go a different route like before he trusted god to fight goliath this time he wanted to take matters into his own hands he's hurt because we're going to find out that samuel died you know god's prophet he died. So he's, he's hurt by that. He's sad by that. And then he does. he's angry by the fact that Saul labeled him a fugitive because all that he's done is try to help Saul. So he's hurt. He's angry. And he wants to take that out on somebody. He can't take it out on Saul because he's God's anointed king. So he takes it out on Nabal. Then 400 men started off with David. They're on their way to meet Nabal and his crew. And 200 remain behind to guard their equipment. Guys, this sounds like 399 more men than, than were needed. And this was not going to go well for Nabal and his family and his shears. Like most of us have heard the phrase, hurt people hurt people. Well, it's true. David is convinced that he's justified in his response. Have you ever been like David? Have you ever done that? I know that I have. We, have you ever had those imaginary conversations? Man, you're, you're constantly talking to yourself and you work yourself up. Have you ever had those conversations in your head when you're going to say just the right thing and then you win? See, it's interesting that we usually don't think about what happens after we win. Everything in our head is about beating them going back to my personal story, I was the same way with the bully. I wanted to see him pay. And so I thought of ways that I could get him to pay. David said, a lot of good it did to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness and nothing he owed was lost or stolen. But... He was repaid me, but he has repaid me evil for good. May God strike me and kill me if even one man of his household is still alive tomorrow morning. David is set to repay evil for evil. So, right now in our story, we have two characters with two responses and we still don't have a hero. Neither of these responses are the right response. So you have Nabal. His response was, let's go evil for good. It was, that's maniacal. But then also David, evil for evil. That's natural. Many of us have found ourselves in that place that we want to repay evil for evil. And sometimes it only seems as the only option repaying someone evil for evil. But next week we're going to look at a third option and we're going to see Abigail and her response to all of this. So there are four questions between now and next week that I would like you and I to consider in our response to mean people in our lives. This is a great opportunity if you're a parent to talk with your kids about how to respond. So first question is this. Do you really want to be even with someone you don't even like? Like, Do you really want to be like someone you don't like because you're stooping down to their level? Hurting them Guys, it's not a solution to your problems. In fact, it's the exchange of your problems. Number two, wouldn't you rather be ahead? Wouldn't you prefer to be unlike the person you don't like? It's not intuitive, but you pull ahead by choosing not to get even. Number three, what story do you want to tell? You're leaving a legacy. In everything that we do, we are leaving a legacy. So when your response is nothing but a story to tell, what story do you want to tell? What advice would you provide your your kids if, if they're in the same situation? What would it look like to return evil or good for evil? What would it look like to return good for evil? See, doing good to people who have not been good to us is what frees us. See, giving, getting even is natural. And Jesus calls us to something supernatural. In fact, Jesus is talking and teaching to people who were oppressed by the Roman soldiers and the Roman people. And this is what he said, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. That doesn't mean repay evil for evil. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. It doesn't mean that there's not justice. What it means is that there's another option. There's a better option than evil for evil and evil for good. There's a better option. And that's what we're going to be looking at next week. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Thank you for allowing us to be able to open up uh, the Old Testament and be able to read a story that's so applicable to us today. Father, over the last couple of years as we've gone through a pandemic, uh, it seems to have been a catalyst for mean people. It seems like people have removed their filters and they begin talking to other people with, with so much dishonor. And so, Father, I ask that you will help us to navigate the conversations that we find ourselves in whether we find ourselves in because of a political disagreement or we find ourselves in because of a difference of opinion, I pray that you will help us to navigate those conversations. I pray, Father, that we would not repay evil for evil. God, may our relationships be healthy and may we reflect the gospel because of the heart of the gospel is reconciliation. So, Father, help us to be able to treat people who are mean, who are unkind, who are dishonoring in an undeserving way. Help us with that. In Jesus' name, amen.